pause and pray and ask for God's help this morning. Loving God, as we come to your word again, we are thankful for the privilege of meeting together as your people around your word. And Lord, we we long again that you would speak to us, that you would reveal Christ to us, who he is in all his glory. Father, we pray that we would be encouraged in your word this morning, that we would be challenged, Lord, that we might be comforted where we need comfort. Father, just in realizing again all that you have done for us in Christ. Lord, please, may your spirit take your word and bring your truth to our hearts this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Boxing Day was traditionally a day of giving gifts. Perhaps giving gifts to servants who were required to work on Christmas Day. Also giving gifts to the poor and needy. Also known as St. Stephen's Day, the patron saint of Horset, it has become a day for sport. And of course it's become a day for the seals. Now why anybody wants to go shopping or play sport for that matter on Boxing Day is beyond me. But our passage that we read this morning... It tells us of wise men who looked, who went and searched for Jesus. They found him and they offered gifts. If you ever to play a part in a nativity, you wanted to be one of the wise men, didn't you? Often named the three kings, you would wear a robe and a crown. I mean, no one wants to play an animal over a king. But they weren't actually kings, they... And there could well have been many of them. We often think of the three gifts mentioned and associate that with there being three visitors. But actually, wanting to play the part of a wise man was not a bad thing. Because in the passage we have just read, the wise men actually stand out as a shining example of responding or of how to respond to Jesus the King. I don't know what you think of of the royals or if you enjoy following the royals, but if there is a royal visit local to us, this often will be met with one of three responses. There will be those who simply don't like the royals if they're planning a visit Um, These people, they'll want to protest, they'll be very annoyed about all the hype, they'll be very annoyed um, towards those who are eager um, to see and meet the royals. Then there may be those who are just indifferent to them. Happy for a royal visit, happy if it doesn't happen, kind of happy for the royals to do their thing, but also happy if they never see them or hear much about them. And then, of course, there are those who will love the royals. They will read all the information about them. They will view every picture, and they will do just about anything to get a glimpse, or better still, to be able to meet them, should there be a royal visit. And when Jesus was born as king... We see three similar responses in Matthew 2. 
There is King Herod who hated Jesus. Then there were the religious leaders who were indifferent. And then we have these wise men. And they were full of joy and worship. So I want to think about those three responses this morning. So firstly, let's think about King Herod. We're told in verse 1 that Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. This was the one known as Herod the Great. He was appointed king over Judea by the Romans. <coughs> and one of the main purposes of his role was, was to keep the Jews at peace those living under Roman authority and he had been fairly successful at doing this. He managed to keep a very good relationship with the Roman emperor. Herod the Great, he he was very wealthy, he was gifted politically and he was fiercely loyal to his cause. He did a lot of good in, in his time of his king, um, he, he, he did a lot of work towards um, famine relief. He instigated a lot of building projects, um, including the temple, and of course the benefits of these would be obvious. And so in many ways his title, Herod the Great, was a fair title. He did a lot of great work. But his main downfall was his love of power. In fact, it may even be fair to say that all the good he did was motivated by keeping him in this position for power. It was motivated by his own drive for power and more power. In fact, he was so hungry for power that he had his wife and two sons murdered for fear that they may bring any competition to his power. So he clearly wasn't a rational character, to say the least. And so when the wise men came and asked him, verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? You can imagine Herod the Great was not going to respond too well. He loved his power, and any threat to his power, he was going to hate. And so we see verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The people he ruled, they knew what he was like. They knew he wasn't going to respond well, and they feared the consequences there may be. Jerusalem, we might say at this time, were living on eggshells. Well, Herod then, we see verse 4, he he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and, and he inquired then where this Christ was to be born. And they told him from the scriptures. Well, not happy yet, Herod pressed the wise men further, verse 7, And then verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you find him, bring me word, so that I too may come and 
worship. Now, of course, his words were hypocritical and insincere. This was a plot, ultimately, to kill Jesus. And we see, if you look just further down in verse 16, he took action to ensure that this may happen. But Herod's response to Jesus was hate. He hated the thought of the power and authority of Jesus interfering with his own power and authority. And we can see that response to Jesus today. Perhaps people who just hate the thought of the power of Jesus having an influence over their life. People who who may be happy to accept Jesus as long as they can control Jesus. As long as Jesus will submit to their authority for their own life. Those who who do not want Jesus to interfere with with how their life is, the things they do, or the things they enjoy, or perhaps the morals they set, or the life choices they make for their life. Now, they may not initially say they hate Jesus, but when any talk of his power or authority over their life, it will quickly hit a nerve that will reveal hate for who Jesus is. So we have Herod who responded to Jesus with hate. Then we have the religious leaders who were indifferent to Jesus. In verse 4 we saw that (coughs) we saw that Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Now these were the ones who knew the scriptures best, whose whose job it was to interpret the scriptures. And we can see that they informed Herod from the prophet Micah. Look at verse 6. We read, And you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They also take words from Second Samuel, um, where God said of David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel. These religious leaders, they had knowledge of the scriptures They knew God's promise of a king from David, a deliverer, a ruler who would be born in Bethlehem and who would rule God's people with peace. And yet the mind boggles that they were indifferent. They pointed the wise men in the right direction to worship Jesus But they themselves made no such journey. And as we've just finished the Gospel of Mark together, we saw there that indifference grew to hardness and rejection and hatred. These religious leaders, they knew the scriptures, 
but they did not know who Jesus was. Perhaps they were just so caught up in their role in the temple and their teaching role and all their debates and so forth that they just had no mind space to consider Jesus. And I'm sure we can all think of someone who who responds to Jesus like this today. But perhaps someone who, who knows the scriptures, who knows the message of scripture, perhaps that they've been taught the scriptures over many years, and yet they do not know who Jesus is. Perhaps someone there, they're just consumed with life, they're doing their thing, they're doing work, they're doing family, and alarmingly, perhaps even doing church. And yet in the midst of all of this, they fail to consider who Jesus is. Again, they don't look like they're opposed to him, and they certainly don't look like they're hating him, but just indifferent just seems to wash over them. So we have Herod, we have the religious leaders, then we have the wise men. And I guess the million dollar question is, who on earth were these wise men? There have been many suggestions, and we know from verse 1, there were wise men who came from the east to Jerusalem, And they came from the east, possibly Babylon. And I think the main thing for us really to note and remember this morning is that they were coming as Gentiles in search of the one to be born king of the Jews. They were wise men. This could mean a number of things. It could mean they were astrologers. Um, dream interpreters and perhaps skilled at at magic and fortune telling or perhaps a mix of of each of these. It's very likely that they served royalty um, acting as advisors based on their skills in astrology and so forth. There are examples of these roles in, in scripture, for example, in, in Egypt, the, those ones that the Pharaoh would have um, consulted with, and also in Daniel, who the king would have sought to interpret dreams. But it seems they have been prompted to seek out this king through their study of the stars. They say, verse 2, we, we saw his star when it rose. And have come to worship him. Again, what exactly this star looked like and <coughs> in what way they followed it, I, I'm not sure. But, but it would seem another extraordinary act of God in the events of this extraordinary birth. Mary was told that she would conceive in a divine way. The shepherds, they heard news about the birth in a divine way. And here these wise men, they are prompted to seek out this king in a divine way. And we've heard their conversation with Herod. 
And then we see that verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And verse 10, when they saw the star over the place where the child was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was proper etiquette to bring um, gifts to a king. Again today, if anyone meets royals, they will often give gifts or, or flowers. It's, it's etiquette. It's, it's a sign of honor and respect for the one you are meeting. And likewise here, the wise men, of course, weren't bringing gifts to Jesus because he needed something. But they brought very costly gifts as a means of honoring and respecting the one they were meeting. And the response is right and appropriate. Jesus filled them with joy. They bowed to worship him. And they sacrificed what they had for him. Spurgeon says this. He says that those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. And those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. If you have seen Jesus for who he is, you will worship him. If you have seen Jesus for who he is, you will sacrifice your life for him, be that time or talent or money or whatever else. When a royal visit or tour is happening um, today, of course there is meticulous planning. Planning could begin a year or more in advance. Um, Initial conversations with the the hosts, um, a royal team will travel to the place They will plan travel times. They will plan dress code, even camera angles. There will be guest lists, and people will be instructed when to enter, when to exit, where to sit, where to stand, when to sit, when to stand. And there will be a visit from um, a special division of the London Met to plan, arrange, and direct all matters of security. And I could go on and on. But the point is, a royal visit does not just happen out of the blue. And of course, Jesus coming to earth and the wise men visiting him did not happen out of the blue. But this was planned by God in eternity past that the nations would come and worship him and find salvation. And we could trace this as far back to Genesis. God's promise, way back in the Garden of Eden, or God's promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his offspring. 
many places in the Old Testament we could go, but I want to use Isaiah 49 as an example. And there God speaks about bringing salvation and restoring his people. And as God speaks about his servant, who of course is Jesus, the one who will accomplish this great salvation and restoration, Isaiah talks about peoples coming from afar to give attention to the servant. He talks about his servant being a light to the nations. He says that this salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. He talks about kings and, and princes and those in high positions falling prostrate before the servant. And we come back to Matthew. Matthew writing to a largely Jewish audience. And of course key to that is seeing that Jesus is in fact the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And that's why Matthew begins with genealogy, tracing Jesus right back to Abraham, to David, showing us that in no way is Jesus out of the blue, but in fact is the fulfillment of every promise of God of all time. And then here we see these wise men, these Gentiles, these Gentiles representing the nations, those coming from afar and they fall before Jesus in worship. And so we're seeing from his very birth that Jesus is the promised servant. He is the root of Jesse. He is the son of David. He is the one who would bring blessing to all nations. This blessing would come through his life, death, and resurrection. So Matthew begins his gospel account with this picture of the nations coming to worship. And then how does Matthew end his gospel? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus came that all nations would come to worship. May you this morning delight in bringing Jesus Christ worship. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, and we are thankful again for your great plan of salvation. Your great plan that the nations would come to worship you, that the nations would be blessed through your servants and Jesus Christ. Father, as we go on from here, may our response today and in the week ahead be one of awe and of joy and of worship. As we have seen Jesus for who he truly is, Lord, may we rightly worship him May we rightly sacrifice for him day by day in our lives. And Father, as we do that, may those who are indifferent, may those who even hate Jesus as King, 
may they see how good it is to know Jesus and to worship him as king. And may they too be drawn to worship him also. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Just now we're going to...